Welcome to Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, your go-to resource for star-loving witches and friends who want to connect to ancient arts and wisdom to live a more magical and fulfilling life. I'm Alexis, the chief geek behind the show, and very glad you're here. Today's episode is going to be my last minute hot takes dump because Riverside is down, so I can't go ahead with my plan to release a collection of my favorite bits from season four, like I did one for Samhain. I'm also going to keep it short and sweet because I'm coming down ill, as you can probably tell, which was partly why I wanted to have a throwback episode. But there are a couple of things that came up lately that I'd like to address. So I might as well do it with a podcast episode. We are now past the new moon in Aquarius and days away from Pisces season. And a little plug here. This month's newsletter drops at 2pm on the 19th and it's good. It might be that it's my north node, but I find the Pisces newsletters have been my most divinely inspired for lack of a better word. And to date, last year's is my most read issue. So do check that one out if you haven't read it yet. It's Witchy Musings on Substack, and the link will be in the show notes. So the first hot take is about gratitude in manifestation. Once again, because I keep finding new shows to check out and maybe the algorithm is stuck with me and so it brings me stuff for bougie girlies, and that's fair. Like The same way that it keeps bringing me stuff from one specific unit in Idolish 7 that I keep complaining about, but then I go and put up on my own, but that's another story. But based on the kind of shows and, and stuff that it suggests me, you'd think spirituality is an SW3 concept. And I'm not here to slag anyone in particular, but the conversation just seems a bit tone deaf around the real struggles that people have. And I don't have the worst financial rock bottom possible. I know that there are people who have it significantly worse than my worst crisis, but they were bad enough that I can speak from at least a degree of experience rather than coming from this kind of middle class savior energy. So when I hear people talk about the importance of gratitude, which is vital, I'm not saying it isn't. And then they're bringing up examples of being grateful for what you have. And they include things like the freedom to start your day slow, buy unprocessed foods, get a massage, get your nails done. It just rubs me the wrong way. Like, what the heck? Some people have nothing but struggles. Like, a few days ago, I went to pick up my asthma inhaler, which is less than 10 quid on the NHS prescription. And I'm very grateful for that because I demanded to be put on this specific brand and private it'd be 45 pounds every two months. And when I was there, my pharmacist was directing folks to a homeless soup kitchen in the building. Like, I believe it's disgusting that I live in the capital of the fifth biggest country by GDP. And there are people who can't even have their basic needs met. And Ferraris drive past the road all the time since at least one, like a couple of Premier League footballers live just further down from where I live. And there are people sleeping rough and relying on charity for their basic needs. And sure, they won't be the people listening to a manifestation podcast. But a single mother working three jobs to keep a roof over kids' heads 
so that they don't end up on the street might be one. The woman in an abusive relationship that's scraping money together so they can have a living fund might. In fact, I can tell you that this category is very likely to, because I was this woman in 2021, <coughs> excuse me, when I first found to be magnetic and Gabby Bernstein and all of the things. And of course men too, but I expect the kind of coaches in my Spotify recommendation mostly speak to women, since even this podcast, which is not deliberately gender specific, has been a hit mostly with women from the get-go. And since we're on the topic, everyone is welcome here. Men, women, non-binary folks, humans, starseeds, assorted spirits with good intentions for the higher good of humanity, whatever the name that we attach to them. Whatever you identify as, if my vibe is your vibe, this is your community. And anyway, it can be easy to be so deep in the 3D circumstances that there is very little to be grateful for. Accept the little you have and the fact that every day you are alive is an opportunity to change your circumstances. And what I believe is problematic in the gratitude conversation is the focus on the material. And when the focus is on the material, which I get, it comes from a place that if you focus on how abundant you are in the present, then you attract more of it. And that's fair enough when you have things. What's missing from this conversation is that ultimately all we have is us. Things and people and pets can be taken away in a flash. New things and people and pets may come in, but they'll never be able to replace them. And the only constant that is guaranteed is that until we die, we have ourselves. Yes, we have the sun and nature until the planet goes completely hits up. I'm not being Hume here with the whole how do we know the sun will rise tomorrow kind of skepticism. And that's all viable. But we wouldn't experience the sun and the wind on our skin without the meat suit that carries our brain, which then experiences things in the mind. So I just wanted to bring you this reframe that I had to post about three times so I could cry. You can probably tell that I was starting. And I realize it can be hard to be thankful for being alive when the circumstances are tough. But that's where the hope for things to change comes in. And this is a topic I will return to with my future guests, but really, as much as I'm working on reducing my use of the word, we need to disassociate gratitude from being about being grateful for material things. And then the second hot take that I have is around a misunderstanding that I see in some people who are not into astrology. And it's fair enough if astrology is not a tool for you, or magic for that matter, but I believe that the reason for it should not be the one that I am about to address. And namely, as someone who doesn't see themselves reflected in the way they understand the archetypes from whatever website or book they use to look up the placements, and then when you present them with an alternative view of the archetypes, they just accuse you of forcing it and just trying to make it fit. Now, that attitude misunderstands three fundamental things about astrology, as well as the nature of the online space where people never really dive into things as deeply as they should. Like even Chris Brennan says for our per episode podcast, it's not the level of depth of spending decades peeling back the layers of things that will circle back over and over for us to unpack about ourselves. Like the level of knowledge and study that the man himself has done is nothing that just lis you listening to his podcast can get. 
and you have to spend those decades for yourself. Anyway, even I haven't really scraped that far below the surface. It's just like the nature of things. But anyway, first of all, when even without using any of the timing techniques, when we look at the chart, it isn't static. Even if we accepted the archetypes as being limited to what some people seem to make them be, and we took them all in isolation, which is another fallacy we'll touch on later, they are not going to be static over time. One, we get to decide whether or not we lean into them to begin with. Two, even when we do lean into them, different circumstances trigger different sides of it, from the shadow to the light. And three, we grow with taking understanding of the world, ourselves and others, and from a variety of sources, and we experience life events that shape us. So the birth chart is more like a snapshot of our potential and the energies we have available to tap into to make life easier for us instead of trying to fit a standard set by someone else. It's meant to liberate and empower us. Now, it's just a tool among many to do that. It's perfectly okay if you have known it for it. But that's a different conversation from, I quote, the internet says such love to travel and I hate to leave my house therefore astrology is not true. End quote. When you're someone who was knee-deep in Moro Institute stuff before it was cool. And yes, I am calling out someone specific here. Now, their second objection is that a lot of people have the same chart. And in the case of twins, they also have the same circumstances, like the same parents, same house, etc. But they are different people and different personalities. So what's the point of astrology? This again rests on a very limited understanding of the archetypes, but also of life itself. Psychology has multiple answers as to why people have different perspectives of the same experiences, but also so does epigenetics. We know now that identical twins do not have identical genomes, and that's before you even consider that the genome itself isn't static throughout our lives either. So astrology cannot tell you who you are insofar as the how. If that's what you expect to see, then of course it will seem pointless. And it's possible to use astrology as a tool without believing it tells you who you are. But if you do want to use it as a snapshot of your energetic tendency, that's about as far as it goes. So it does tell you who you are to an extent. Think of it like a game of chess. You have the same set of pieces in every game, but you can't predict the game just because the starting point of the game is a line of pawns in front of a line of rook, knight, bishop, queen and king, bishop, knight and rook facing a mirror image of the same line. But when you see that setup on a square that has little squares of different color, black and white, you know that's chess. So in that respect, a burst chart tells you who you are because it tells you, oh, well, we're playing chess. That's as far as it goes. It cannot predict what the game is gonna look like. And there are people who use that for predictive astrology and have a different take on this one also that not necessarily just the best chart that they're using. But that's a whole topic for another time. On the very basic, you get to see the what, not the how. So we're not theoretical objects. So I, I keep threatening to bring out the analysis of the Children's from Brother Conflict, and I will do that at some point. And 
yes, the chances will hit the same placements in charts that look the same down to the houses, like those children born at the same minute at the same hospital. So they'd have the same angles. But to me, it's silly to separate the chart from our lived experience as people. And that's what I kind of want to do with that chart's analysis on how two of these triplets would have, in my opinion, the same rising sign, but not the third. Anyway, even if you believe we are souls having a human experience, we are people with actual lives and we have other people interacting with us all the time. So it's not forcing it to account for those nuances. It's just like the nature of things. So it's not like I'm trying to make astrology into something that is not. It was always meant to be a science for people to use about understanding their human experience. Which brings me to the last point I want to address which is the archetypes themselves and how the chart is meant to be read. So if you've been around here before, you know that I'm big on the mythology of the cultural context in which astrology came about, because that's how the archetypes came about. And if you're kind of new to astrology, that would be the Hellenistic world, which is a Greek empire in Egypt, so connected to the Babylonian explorations of astrology. So that's kind of like a melting pot and Ptolemy is the one that put it all together in Greek and then everybody in the history after him on with first, second century common era would have referred back to down to Mr. Placidus in the 18th century. But that's a story for another time, which I bring up for like every read Ptolemy. It didn't invent a new house system. Anyway, soft bots over. So, I'm not the type of person who believes there can't be any evolution of our understanding. But I think astrology going mainstream has made it become watered down to basic concepts that are nice sound bites for a blog post or an Instagram post that you can share easily. So, to use one example, Anytime I read an article about how to dress according to your Venus sign, I can put a bet that they will say I need to go boho. Don't get me wrong, I like some of the boho vibes of Kate Moss in her dating Pete Doherty here, but I also don't mind a flowy matzy dress to go to the beach in an aesthetic location, however, boho couldn't be further from my style. But otherwise, I'm pretty seriously because I said Venus. So why do I not like boho? Because it's easy to make an article universalizing the placement. To be able to truly give you an answer, you need to look at the placement in its totality. And even before you look at the house or aspects it makes, knowing if you are a morning star or evening star Venus can change a lot of the flavor of the archetype. And the boho style may very well appeal to an evening star Venus, but I'm not one. So even without taking into consideration what the rest of my placement says about me, it already shows the limitation of trying to make the archetype universal. Now, I believe that the archetypes are universal, and that's be what's beautiful about astrology. But in a way, we have lost sight of how broad the archetypes actually are in order to be that universal. So Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, and of course Venus is Venus. So I'm quoting from Ptolemy on the Tesserabaliblos, book 1, chapter 4, on the power of the planets. Start quote. Jupiter has a temperate active force because its movement takes place between the cooling influence of Saturn 
and the burning power of Mars. He both heats and humidifies, and because this heating power is greater by reason of the underlying spheres, he produces fertilizing winds. Venus has the same powers and temperature and sorry tempered nature as Jupiter, but acts in the opposite way. For she warms moderately because of her nearness to the sun, but chiefly humidifies, like the moon, because of the amount of her own light and because she appropriates the exaltations no exhalation, I can't even read from the moist atmosphere surrounding the earth. So if you are any familiar with how nature grows, plants need heat and humidity, but not too much in order to grow. So if a winter is too cold, there will be a bad harvest and dry plants also can't grow, although too much water is another set of issues. So you see, before we even go to the myths of Zeus, we can see why Jupiter is seen as a planet of abundance and growth. And at the time of Ptolemy, all the way down to modern day, we didn't have awareness of the outer planets. So the astrological rulership of this planet was both Sag and Pisces, which is another sign that has expansion as a part of it, because it's a sign of the liminal, and then you have this expansion of consciousness and the mind. And Sag also expands the mind, although it does it in a different way through higher learning and wisdom. And the planet corresponds to the deity of the sky and thunder in the Greek pantheon, who was seen as the ruler, protector and father of all gods and humans. And he is a benevolent father, both metaphorically and literally, since he has an abundance of extramarital children. And again, the theme of expansion and abundance that we see with Sage and to an extent Pisces in our modern archetypes, is closely linked to this mythology. But the sign also has an element tender modality. So fire, which is an element of transformation that can be gentle or destructive. And mutable, which is about knowing a change is coming and being ready to adapt and being adaptable and embracing the change. It's inevitable, so you might as well do it. It's also about viewing things from multiple angles and perspective, which is something you do when you travel and at least when you travel not just to be sat in a resort that looks the same as the resort in another part of the world and serve the same high-end European cuisine that you're used to back home. So that's what underpins the idea of travel as a big sage theme that this person takes issue with, while also exhibiting those very traits when it comes to their intellect. And when you look at the history of what it means to be bohemian, which is where the boho style comes from, you can see the association there too, as well as if you look at the kind of clothes that make up the style. So there, like, there is a freedom to them from these expectations of society. But I think that it looks at the freedom from a, the wrong angle, because then it becomes prescriptive about what freedom looks like, and then it's no longer freedom. It's just another set of expectations. And one thing I've had ever since I was little and my mother will tell you when I was a baby I used to cry when she tried to dress me in clothes I didn't want and would stop only when she picked clothes I wanted so isn't that fashion for me is self-expression I cannot live with a capsule wardrobe is too small and reductive because I need enough pieces to be able to dress for the energy of a specific day it tends to be a bit of a rocket girl vibe in all of them 
Like if I was the front woman of a band and expected to be photographed by paparazzi whenever I leave their house. But also it covers different vibes within that scope from soft and romantic in the whore vibes to like a girl boss in a blazer me dress. So whatever I have going on that day, I will have an outfit that feels like me in a different version of that archetype. So I'm not the type who would turn up with ripped jeans to a board meeting because that's my vibe, but also won't turn up in a pantsuit because that's their standard and not me. I barely wear trousers. So I fully dress like a Sag Venus because I claim the freedom to be me, no matter what. And then prepare to go with the flow. A day-to-night outfit is a big sell with me. As it allows me the spontaneity to change my plans at the last minute. So yeah, you won't find me wearing much that could qualify as boho. But I don't think that I'm forcing it by pointing out the limitation of understanding such as the boho traveller without looking at what travel represents. And she's expanding our minds and how many ways are there to do just that without leaving the house. And that's what the archetype is ultimately about. You can be a jet setter on and off your private jet and still not embody the such archetype because you move from location to location with the same people and experiences. It was never about travel. And the same idea applies to all of the archetypes before you even look at a chart in its totality, which is what you're meant to do. But even if you're doing the pop astrology thing or knowing your sun sign, there's a world of possibilities and it's not trying to make it fit to say it. I'm cutting it here because I have to get to a meeting in half an hour but I hope this has been informative and gave you a lot to think about when it comes to your magical practice. Even if you agree with me on those two things maybe there are areas where you can explore your existing biases and how they color your understanding of things when maybe they'd be good areas for you to play with. If you are subscribed to Witch Musings, I will be in your inboxes on Monday, otherwise in your ears on Thursday. The ways in which you can support the show, aside from sharing it and reviewing it, and of course tuning in yourself, are all going to be in the show notes. And I'm very grateful to have you as a part of this community. Hopefully Riverside will be back up soon so I can edit the guest episodes coming up and whatever happens. Until next time, keep living in wonder. Mm-hmm.